This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast slash Jonathan Taylor Thomas talks Major League Baseball. John, good morning ish. I think we just made the cut for good morning. It's not noon yet. How are you? Yeah, it's not, not noon. It's still morning. A fine morning to you. Ah, thank you, thank you, sir. Uh, how do you take your coffee, John? I don't drink coffee. Oh well, that's uh, that yeah. answers that. What do you uh, what do you do instead? Nothing. I don't drink anything in the morning. Just you know, have a if I have a bowl of cereal, usually just a bowl of cereal. If I have like a egg sandwich or something, maybe some orange juice. But yeah, I'm not a. I don't. I don't really. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink tea. I don't really do anything what? caffeinated mostly. Yeah, I know, right? I'm one of the few journalists, or I guess pseudo-journalists, alive who does not consume caffeine on a regular basis. I mean, it's probably a, a better existence. Like, I don't think I could go, like, a day without coffee. Like, the caffeine withdrawals, I'm, I've am i already tried it um, a few months back, and it was bad. Like, I was getting really bad headaches, and I was really, really on edge. It It's not going to go well. Yeah, I'm not- I'm glad I I'm glad I'm, I don't ever have to deal with that because the only caffeine I've ever really drank is is you know soda when I was a you know young but like you know I don't I don't drink soda I mean I do drink soda every now and then but you know it's not something I drink regularly. Are you at least a Lacroix person? Yeah, I like Lacroix, but you know it's just I, I like seltzer, but that's just bubbly water, so true. Nothing really extra to it. Interesting. Would not have guessed this, John. This is interesting. Um, we learn something new about each other every week. Um, Major League Baseball's playoff bubble is finalized. What do you think? Yes. Um, it doesn't matter because <laughs> I was looking at the playoff. I, I mean, I shouldn't put it that way, but I was looking at the playoff standings, The uh, I think, some point yesterday or the day before, and it really kind of strikes me that, like, a solid half of the teams that are going to make the postseason are just not good. Like, watching last night's Phillies-Mets game when the Phillies bullpen imploded for the roughly 38th time this season, they're going to make the playoffs more likely than not. They're a terrible team. I should say, they're not a terrible team. 
they have the worst bullpen that has probably ever been assembled. They cannot hold leads. They are completely incapable of holding leads. They're going to make the playoffs. You know, there are 500 teams. So are the Giants. So are the Reds if the Reds make it, or the Cardinals if the Cardinals make it. So are basically the Blue Jays. So are, like, the playoffs are going to have a, somewhere in the neighborhood of like five to six 500 teams. Who wants that? Who needs that? These teams are not good. They're 500. 500 means average, mediocre, okay. There are, are there good things about those teams? Sure. The Blue Jays can hit. The Phillies can hit and have Aaron Nola. Like, the Giants, weirdly enough, have some, like, usefulness to them like the reds actually the reds can't hit but the reds have trevor bauer and luis castillo like there are things about them that work it's just they're not good teams though they are flawed teams with some good attributes and i think the frustrating thing for me about not only is that that you know the playoffs are just going to have these teams that just fundamentally are not good but that these teams are going to get every and a very good opportunity to knock out teams that are way better than them like I know I've already I think I've already joked here about the Giants being a mortal lock if they're the eight seed to upset the Dodgers because that's how this stupid universe works. Yeah. But like there's there's no one outside of Giants fans and people who hate the Dodgers, so also Giants fans, who wants to see the Giants advance in the postseason instead of the Dodgers. The Dodgers are an incredibly good team. They are going to go into the postseason as a World Series favorite. But despite the fact that they're going to have the number one record, the best record in baseball, the number one seed in the National League, they've already they've already clinched a postseason spot, and they're probably going to win the division. I think the Padres are now a handful of games behind with not a whole lot of time left to make it up. Their reward for that is three straight games in three straight days against a Giants team that maybe isn't good, but anything can happen in a three-game series. Absolutely anything at all. We see it every single year. And like, granted, those upsets happen sometimes too, because that's just the nature of playing a short of a short series in a in a sport where you normally play 162 games. But it just feels to me like you expand the playoffs fine. You 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 expand the playoffs to include these teams. You give more teams opportunities. You theoretically give more fan bases like actual playoff games. Hooray! That's great. But you're also increasing the likelihood that your good teams don't advance. Like you're you're turning the MLB postseason into the NCAA tournament. And, like, while the NCAA tournament has its exciting virtues and values, certainly, like, I mean, number one, the postseason can't be that because the NCAA tournament obviously is a single elimination thing. But it's also, like, the NCAA tournament, how many years have just, like, genuinely good, great, fantastic teams just gotten randomly knocked out because some mid-major happened to catch fire for for 48 or how how long is a college basketball game? 40 minutes? 45 minutes? However long it is. John Taylor, big big college basketball guy. It is it is not it is <sighs> not that. It's thirty minutes. Okay, fine. I have not paid the remotest amount of attention to college basketball in like the last two or three years. So mm. point the, the point being, like, upsets happen a fair amount in the NCAA tournament, right? Safe mm. safe assumption? Yes. Safe 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 thing to say. That's not a model that I think MLB should really be embracing or aiming for. Like th- this is this is what kind of I find weird about the postseason structure. If you win your division, there's no benefit. You don't get anything out of it. Or at least normally you would get some benefit of having the home games, right? But because everyone, because MLB is going to do the bubble, or the bubble that isn't a bubble, um, there's no benefit. You don't get the home games. You don't get any bonus. Like, you don't get to pick your opponent. There's no reseeding if you make it to the next round. Like, you just... That's just it. You just, okay, you won your division. Your reward is you play exactly the same kind of postseason series that the other seven teams are playing. Like, it, that doesn't make any sense. Like, 
you've de-incentivized de winning the division. That's the whole point of the regular season is to win your division. Like, so that way you, I'm just kind of sputtering now because I just, I genuinely don't get what MLB is trying to go for. Okay. Let me rephrase that. I understand what MLB is trying to go for purely on an economic level. You know, that the whole kind of impetus behind, not the impetus behind this, but the reason you have Rob Manfred saying stuff like, this is something we're going to keep doing next year. And the whole reason it seems like owners are genuinely into this is because now, now you don't have to spend as much money or try as hard to make the postseason. You know, all it takes is being a 500 team and you make it. It takes no effort to be a 500 team. Nobody cares about your opinion on us. <laughs> like, I love the Fisheries. He, he always knows when to, when to talk. But I, I mean, that's kind of the thing that just stands out to me about like the whole postseason schedule thing is like there's no incentive to being the number one seed. There's no yeah. incentive to winning your division. There's no incentive to any of this. You're just stuck with here three straight games in three straight days against a team that is you're probably better than, but that 30% of the time is probably going to win this series because anything can happen in three games. And especially the fact that it's three straight days as opposed to, you know, the usual like you know, two days off day and then the rest, you know, there are going to be no off days until the world series, which on the one hand, I, I don't know if I like it. I find it interesting. I think it's definitely going to be a weird, it's going to create some weird tactical stuff because now teams have to rely on just starters. Teams can't just empty bullpens. And I'm not going to lie. Like postseason games where a starter goes three or four innings and then it's just 18 relievers after that. Those suck. The postseason is supposed to be the time and call me old fashioned or crank or whatever when your starter is going out there and grinding six or seven innings, that's the time for true heroics. And I know how ridiculous I sound, but regardless, I will see how the, how the no off day thing changes stuff, but it's flat out ridiculous that MLB just basically announced that like, and gave teams like a week's notice before announcing it past the trade deadline. That's just silly. You can't, I don't really get the sense MLB has actually thought through what the expanded postseason means in terms of the actual competition on the field. I get the sense that they understand what it means, like I said, on an economic macro level, which is teams will not have to try as hard because making the postseason is going to be really easy. Again, this Phillies team that's craptacular bullpen is going to be in the postseason more likely than not. But they don't seem to have understood, like, what effect is this going to have on the actual games that are played that's going to determine the actual champion of baseball? Like, what is the, what is the end result on the field? And that's to me is like, and not to, I feel great. I'm going to spin this onto a much bigger thing is that if there's anything that kind of, I think encapsulates the Rob Manfred as commissioner era in baseball, it's that the stuff that actually happens on the field is of such secondary importance to the stuff that happens in major league baseball's offices when it comes to how can we make more money? You know, how can we make more money for owners, more money for the league? Because it's not more money for the players. You know, season does really nothing for the players in terms of financial gain. And in fact, if it ends up being the case going forward, it's just going to make it worse for them because free agency is going to take an even bigger hit because teams are going to be like, why am I going to spend on a premium free agent when all I have to do is win 82 games and I'm in the playoffs? I don't need free agents to do that. We're heading so much for that future where every team is worth, every team has a $35 million roster and wins 83 games. That's what MLB is creating because they haven't, either they don't care or they don't understand what this is going to do to the on the field product. And okay, I, I mean, I don't, no one knows anything for sure. I'm, you know, who knows how this transforms thing, but that feels like the, uh, the logical outcome here, doesn't it? 
because you look at this postseason slate, what are you really excited about? You know, like you have to just hope that the good teams actually get through. It's not like the NBA playoffs where the good teams make it more often than not. You know, like you look at you look at the the, the conference finals right now, and it's like, okay, yeah, the Clippers flamed out embarrassingly, and the Bucks flamed out embarrassingly, but that's because they gen- they genuinely were not as good as the teams they went up against, and the seeding there didn't really make a difference. Are, are we really going to get excited if the NL if the NLCS is the Giants against the Cardinals for the thirty millionth time? Two mediocre teams as opposed to say Dodgers Padres, which is what everybody wants. And I'm not saying MLB should like, you know, not fix the playoffs if that's what happens. But like, again, like how can you have a number one seed or whatever you want to call it in the Dodgers where they get zero advantage for winning the most games and winning their division? How does that, that doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense at all. Like if you're a Dodgers fan, you're, you're, you're rightfully pissed. Your team is the best team in baseball. You're going to win the division. You're, you have the best record in the league. That amounts to nothing. They might as well just thrown all 16 teams randomly into like a lotto ball distributor and just pluck them out one by one. It's pretty much the same thing. I'm not surprised that Manfred wants to make this a permanent thing, but like you said, I just, it sucks. And I really hope the only thing that needs to be permanent going forward is the DH and the runner on second starting extra innings and double headers always being seven innings. That's the only thing that needs to stay. Oh, okay. I, can, I, can, I can get behind the double header being seven innings because I do think there is some genuine benefit to not making guys grind through 18 innings of baseball in yes. one single day. That's a lot. And like that, I know people say it's like, oh, but that's how baseball's always been. That's how baseball was back in the day when there was when those games took two hours to finish. There was one pitcher pitching all the games. This game started at one in the afternoon and there was nothing else to do. Like it, we do not have to keep playing this sport as if it's 1925. Like we can advance. And something like a seven inning doubleheader is perfectly fine by me. Another thing I kind of wish existed, the like like the and this is probably anathema or heresy to a certain degree. Take from Little League, mercy rule after the seventh inning. If a team is up 10 or more runs after the seventh, game's over. No more baseball. Who cares? (laughs) Like, the only interesting thing about a big blowout um, toward the late innings is whether or not a team can get the 30 runs. And weirdly enough, we've actually seen a lot of that over the last few weeks, and I I would wager completely with no evidence and unscientifically, but I get the feeling. I wonder if pitchers are just exhausted by this point. I wonder if they're just worn out from... Starting spring training, stopping, restarting really fast, and then having to grind through 60 games in roughly, like, for some cases, some of them 60 games in, like, 53 days. And I wonder if by this point they're just completely worn out, which is going to be interesting to see in the playoffs. Just, it's basically going to be who has the most stamina left at this point, who's got the most energy left to go, because the playoffs are going to be a dead sprint, too, with no off days. Regardless, I, I do. I don't want to see the uh, the runner on second next inning. So I think that's it's a weird little gimmick. I I don't I don't mind extra innings. I know I'm saying like on the one hand, don't make them play 18 innings in a double header versus oh yeah I don't care if they play 16 innings in one night who cares, but I think it's just the accumulation of innings over one day versus the once every four weeks likelihood that you're going to play past the 12th inning. It just doesn't. I, I did something about this on Fangraphs uh, back before the season started that long extra inning games, the ones that go past the 12th, really are just not that common. You know, you don't really need to to put in some kind of safeguard against them because they just don't happen that often. And in the exchange, what you're doing is you're making the game really weird. Like, it's one thing to end the game early because there's no real point to continuing it. 
it's another thing to fundamentally change like the structure of how the game works on the field because why to maybe avoid the game going long? I, I don't really understand. I've never really been for the rule. I don't mind it as it exists. Like it, it doesn't really seem like a bad thing, but it doesn't. Have, it also doesn't seem like something that needs to continue. I don't really see the the point of it beyond. Honestly, I don't really see the point of it. I don't really see what it gains. Maybe maybe we have avoided a handful of 16-inning games that otherwise would have wiped out some team's bullpen. Maybe, but there's there's simply no way to know. It just feels like a, a it's it's one of the things that feels like a solution in search of a problem. But regardless, that's not that's not anything to do with the playoffs. But I, I do agree with you that with with Manfred, it just feels like it, it just feels like there's not really a whole lot of not not a whole lot of thought. I'm sure there are people thinking about it, but that again, like the on-field result, the on-field consequence, whatever you want to call it, is not the is not top of mind. It is not first on the list. You know, it's not the most important thing. Yeah. How how this thing changes the sport itself, be it the expanded playoffs or the runner on second or the double headers or whatever whatever rules, seems to be like a tertiary concern, if not any concern at all. The major concern just seems to be: can we make the sport faster? Can we make the sport more money? That's that. Those two those two things seem to be the only things that Rob Manfred really cares about: make the sport faster, make it more money. And the funny thing is, not the funny, it's not funny at all. But the ironic thing is, the more you fuck with the sport, the more you tweak and twist and fucks around with it, the more likely it's not going to make any money. Like, you're going to create a game that no one's going to want to watch. Mm-hmm. How many people are going to want to sit around and watch a game where every team is aiming for 83 wins? Where no one signs free agents? Where every team has the same, like, where you have teams like the Red Sox doing service time games with literally Nick Pavetta because they are so obsessed with the idea of team control for one extra year that they're going to fuck with the career of a guy who is, who's awful. Like baseball is in this really weird, like the, the, the pendulum has swung so far to the edge, to the edge of, or to the side of, um, of money over everything of financial control, financial security, financial stability, that the actual game itself just seems to be kind of an abstraction at this point. It just kind of exists vaguely on the edges of these guys counting and making money. Nothing, nothing that happened on the field seems to matter. I mean, the Red Sox season is perfect proof of that. that this Red Sox season basically didn't even need to happen. It was pointless from moment one. The only reason it happened is because Major League Baseball like, legally requires the Red Sox <laughs> to take part. Like, but for the Red Sox, for Red Sox ownership and the Red Sox front office, whatever. This was just a season of, this was just a thing that happened. Same with the Orioles the last year. Same with the Marlins. Same with the other tanking teams where it's like what actually happens on the field matters almost zero. The only thing that's important is are the young guys who we are going to try to build around, are they actually any good? And honestly, if not, eh, who cares? We'll find other guys somewhere down the road. Like there doesn't seem to be any, like, especially because there doesn't ever seem to be any consequence for things being bad. How many front offices actually suffer consequences for things going wrong? I mean, in part I mean, because uh, general manager, I guess, um, yeah, but copy decent. copy got got because one he was deeply unpopular with everybody, yeah. and two he did blatantly illegal things. Like he just broke the rules constantly. Like maybe he would have gotten away with that if he weren't like a blabbermouth. But like regardless, like I don't think that one was particularly hard for Major League Baseball. I think Rob Manfred. I, I think I wrote at the time when it happened. Rob Manfred took an opportunity to put a head on a spike. 
of someone he didn't particularly like or care about in the first place. That was an easy one. That was a layup for them. But, I mean, general managers don't take risks anymore. If the expanded playoff format is a thing going forward, they're going to take even fewer risks. Owners don't really care so long as the team is profitable to a certain degree. Well, hold on. 2034, I think, is the risk-taking year um, for Liberty Media. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you have an ownership in Liberty, like ownerships that fundamentally do not want to spend money because all they care about is profit. Fans who have compl- who have mostly bought into this whole idea that it doesn't matter if your team is good or bad, if, as long as they're developing good prospects, and maybe you'll have an asteroid window of three to four years. They're in the happy zone. This is perfect for them. The, the Braves are happy. No, the Braves... Yeah, Braves. I mean, Braves fans. I'm sure to a certain degree are kind of annoyed that this. Team no, is, they're not. I'm telling like, you, they're are not. They not. They're just like wow. Braves fans are like wow. Freddie Freeman might be MVP this year. They're just okay, happy cool. to be there. Great. Does that does, does that matter if they don't win? No. Like if you're if you're well, a here's the thing fan, is they're not older. looking at it that way. Um, they're looking at it like if you talk to Braves fans right now, by and large, um, the majority <laughs> think that if they just get in, there's a chance like that is something that they believe in, but they're going to believe in that for the next couple of years. They are like, we're a better organization. They like laugh at the nationals. They laugh at the nationals being last in the division this year. They laugh at the Mets. They laugh at the Phillies. My whole thing is that like, okay, great. But like, you're probably not going to win. Like we have not gotten out of the NLDS in 20 years and they don't really care. But that's the funny thing, isn't it? That idea of like, laughing at the nationals because you were the sustainable contender team like the nationals yeah they're last this year they won a world series last year right Braves haven't won a world series in 25 years they've even got like, out of the first round what? in 20 years like what fine win win 92 games in perpetuity forever right I'm, I'm <laughs> and that's what, it doesn't that's it matter like. if you don't actually win a world series the whole point of this stupid stupid sport is to win the world series Otherwise, literally, there is no point. There is no, you do not get a trophy for like the most dollars or for the most efficient dollar per wins above replacement. You don't get a trophy because you have the most players on your team making under $10 million a year. Laugh at the Nationals all you want for being a last place team. Like, I'm not saying you are, but like, if people want to do that, fine, by all means, who do I, what do I care? But they won a World Series last year. They went for it and they got it. That, yeah. that flag, that, that flag flies forever. That trophy will always be there. Those fans will always have that for as long as they live, for as long as the franchise exists. Like I, that, that's the thing. Like baseball has, or the current form of baseball has taught fans that winning does not matter unless it happens under a very narrow set of circumstances. Or not so much does not matter, but we, the only right, the right way to win, the only proper way to win is if you have a team of 27-year-old dudes, all of whom are making roughly $2.5 million a year and are six, and are like somewhere between three and five war players who can just consistently put out 93-win seasons. And then, if you, and then if you win a World Series with that team, great. And if you don't, well, them's the breaks. Like, playoffs are weird. Some shit happens. Like, like Billy Bean said, my shit doesn't work in the playoffs. Like, and that's... I, 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 it just... Like I know that that's not the case for all baseball fans. I've seen enough Twitter replies to see like people get mad at the idea that their team might not win everything. They're called Yankees fans, but regardless, it's just like I, I hate that this is where baseball is going, if not where it already is at this point. Where winning doesn't matter; it's winning sustainably that matters. But winning sustainably is just a, a euphemism for winning without spending money and winning without trying and winning without even really 
like making the World Series kind of your end goal. No team ever says our goal is to win the World Series this year. Every team always says our goal is to be a, 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 to be a contender for the long term, which just means you never actually like make take that last step. So many teams never take that last step. I was kind of honestly, for as much as the Mookie Betts trade hurt me in like a spiritual way, at least that was the Dodgers finally taking that step, finally deciding that this is not going to work unless we unless we just go balls out. And they didn't even have to go that balls out. All they gave up was Alex Verdugo. Who cares? Like, that's the other thing. Like, these, these upgrades don't even cost that much. Like, the Dodgers got Mookie Betts for a guy they'll probably, they've probably already forgotten existed. Like, whatever Alex Verdugo does going forward for the Red Sox, if, the, if Mookie Betts wins the Dodgers the World Series, who cares? Like, who cares, you know? Unless Alex Verdugo is the second coming of Babe Ruth somehow, I don't think the Dodgers really will care at all. Nor do I think Dodgers fans will care, especially now that Mookie's going to be there for the next decade anyway. It doesn't matter. Like, that's, that's kind of the funny thing for me is that, like, it's never been, in my mind at least, cheaper to build the kind of team that can win a World Series because so many teams aren't trying. They're not going that extra mile. They're all collectively now not going that extra mile. They're all just kind of hanging out together and, like, well, we're all going to win 90 games and then we'll see what happens when we come to the postseason. That sucks. That's boring. Give me a super team. Give me teams that try. Give me teams that actually want to win the World Series as opposed to teams that want to win 89 games with a $65 million payroll. I don't want to see the Pirates, but better. Like, that's, no one wants that. At least I don't want that. What does Steve Cohen <sighs> It's just funny. If you, if, uh, we'll see. It's very funny that the Mets finally get an owner who's theoretically at least willing to spend right ahead of a free agency period where there are not only not very many good free agents, but where there's not going to be much spending anyway. Yeah, which maybe maybe that's a good thing for the Mets. Maybe that means that they won't have to spend as much as they would have thought. But like, beyond if you're the if you're a Mets fan, beyond J.T. Realmuto and Trevor Bauer, what's on the market you're really excited about? I mean, I don't know because I haven't fully looked at the list of free agents for this winter. I just know Bauer and Realmuto off the top of my head. But like, otherwise, you're talking about guys like you know James Paxton, or I guess maybe bring back Marcus Stroman. All that seems kind of unlikely. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's going to be good for the Mets, I guess, to go from, as I believe David Roth put it, from victims of financial crime owners to guy who commits financial crimes owners. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's good for the Mets, though, I guess. They're finally rid of the dread evil that is the Will Pond. Two of the, like, the most, one of the most, if not the most incompetent ownership group in baseball, to a degree that's frankly almost, like, insulting that they were allowed to do this to this team for so long. And it's kind of weird that they just went out the way they did just a whimper. And I'm surprised, honestly, I'm surprised that the Wilpons sold. Um, I don't know why anybody. Well, I mean, I mean the, 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 their minority owners made it clear that they would not basically be a part of whatever the Wilpons were dealing to a certain degree. I think the minority ownership of that team just kind of got tired of their nonsense. Mm. Um, I mean, especially because they, they presumably, when, when Steve Cohen made his original bid, they presumably all saw the opportunity to be like, holy crap, we're all going to get insanely rich off this. Why are you screwing this up for us? We don't yeah. care about this team enough to, to pass up that kind of money. The man is offering $2.5 billion. You know? Like, if you're, if you're a, a non-Wilpon owner of the Mets, like, why are you putting up with them in the first place? But especially why are you putting up with them when they start to mess with your money? That's the thing. Like, if they mess with your ability to get a, depending on your percentage of the share, like a you know fifty to a hundred million dollar payout, 
if you're going to tell them eat shit, get out of the way, sell to this man already. You incompetent dopes. Man. Well, to wrap up here, um, Jake Lamb is in Oakland to save the day. Poor Matt Chapman. Poor A's. Why do the A's never get to cook, man? I mean, they're my World Series. And then Matt Chapman goes down. Don't love it, folks. We don't love to see it. We do not love to see it. We hate to see it, in fact. I just... Is this it? Like, is is that enough to, like, write them off? Can they still win the World Series without Matt Chapman? Sure, weirder things have happened. It's just, it's the kind of thing that they really... I mean, look, I don't know necessarily, like... If you ask me, like, uh, who on the A's could they least afford to lose... Um, Chapman is probably really high up there. I don't know necessarily that like dooms them, but it is a really big problem because not only is that you know one of your best, if not your best, middle of the order bat, that's your best defender in a really important position. And Jake Lamb and whoever else they they dig up to take those innings is not going to be anywhere close. I don't know the A's are still a good team. I'm sure they will do okay without him, but boy, that's it just sucks. Like the A's are just a team you want to see succeed. They're a cool team with cool guys. And now they're just going to, who knows? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they were the best team in the American league anyway, that is probably a healthy Yankees team. Um, we'll see, but I, I, I mean, yeah, it's something where that, that happens. You just feel, you just feel like that might be enough. That, I think you're right. I think that might be enough to take the A's out of really serious world series contention. Mm-hmm. Pour one out for America's team. The Oakland A's, um, who apparently now support the San Francisco 49ers <laughs> for the sure, yeah. that was weird. Um, yeah, let's do it. People forget the Oakland A's, big San Francisco 49ers team. Um, John Taylor, we have to go, but uh, I appreciate the time as always. Good sir, uh, is there anything you would like to plug before you get out of here? Uh, not that they, wait, is next does the season end next week? Let me see. Uh, be last. Say, are we like? Are we basically like a week and a half from the playoffs right now? That is crazy to think. I about. think so. Let me see. Wow. Let me see. Time flies. Time flies when you're not having fun. Exactly. Um. But yeah. No. I think we're we're closing in because yeah, most teams are over fifty. I think the Cardinals still have forty five games to go. But um. Okay. So we'll we'll see them in the postseason sometime <laughs> around mid November. <laughs> It's like everything's happened, and then the Cardinals just pop up playing their NLDS. Yeah, they're just like they're the guy like running way behind me. Like, guys, wait up, please, hold up, hold, like yelling, hold the bus, hold the bus. <laughs> I love it, I love it, John. Thank you as always, sir. We will be back next week. Sounds good. Hi, this is Chuck Dowdle of Bulldogs Roundtable, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Be sure to check out Chase's website at chasethomaspodcast.com and follow the Stone Mountain Native on Twitter and Facebook and listen to my show, Bulldog Roundtable, every Tuesday and Thursday from 9 to 9.30 on 680 The Fan. Have a great Bulldog Day, everybody. back on the Chase Thomas podcast. Evan Sowards, fresh off his um, defeat at the hands of Gardner Minshew. And my 
Jacksonville Jaguars because guess what? There was an Atlanta team that played Sunday, but guess what? Don't care. We're, we're blocking that out. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about the 49ers maybe having a game uh, on Sunday. Who cares? Yeah, if you, if you uh if you need help ignoring your favorite team getting beat by the Seahawks, I have a lot of a lot of experience. It was so demoralizing. Like I obviously no taking all that during these games and I'm just like looking up and I we're midway through the second quarter and I'm just like he hasn't thrown an incompletion yet. And the weirdest thing about people talking about the pass rush were like if you didn't watch this game, you there's so many different things that people miss when you don't watch a game and you just see numbers or you'll just see a quote or whatever. But like Russell Wilson was never under pressure. So like he took a bad double sack from Grady and uh, Dante Fowler at one point where they like tried to rip his head off. But Fowler did not get any pressure all day. Tack got one, uh, one or two moments. Grady Jarrett had the best big surprise there, but like, those three sacks came early and they weren't pressure sacks, if that makes sense. We're like, it wasn't like every play where Jadavian Clowney's just breaking through and giving Drew Locke hell. No, it was like, or Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa, whoever it is. Like, it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like they were just all over Russell Wilson at all. Like, he was very much okay going 31 of 35 and was like, yeah, no, there was no pressure. Some people were like, the pass rush looked better. I'm like, not really. Like it, it didn't feel like it at all when you're watching this game. And Russell Wilson was not at all concerned with uh, Dante Fowler or uh, Tat McKinley off the edge. He was, he was good. Right. Yeah. You know, I gotta say, I, I, I obviously didn't get to watch much of the Seahawks game because of uh, the, you know, the 49ers and everything else going on. Um, but when I saw the amount of yards that Matt Ryan passed for. And I think before the end of the game, like, you know, he didn't even get, you know, 13 points in the in the fourth quarter. Right. So you're looking at 12 points. But, you know, before the fourth quarter and he's like throwing for 450 yards and only two touchdowns. It was just that's got to That's got to hurt. You're like my quarterback did a lot and it didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't Mark Schlereth didn't, didn't loves him some Matt Ryan. Like he on this broadcast just all about his professionalism. And I was this was like my lead in my recap of this. I it just it was so weird. I'm like, Russell Wilson's in a different tier. Why are we focusing so much on Matt Ryan? Like Matt Ryan's fine. Like he is it, it's just it came across watching this game like he's in a different tier. The biggest takeaway for me was that Russell Wilson is just in a different tier. Like if Matt Ryan was at his level, he would not have allowed the Seahawks team to win as comfortably as they did. Like, there's just something about it where these drives where they had some bad backbreaking ends, and some of it was running on second down and Ty Gurley fading away after the, the first couple quarters. Like, it's going to be a hodgepodge, but that bothered me just seeing the amount of people who were just like, oh, Ty Gurley, bull. And it's like, no, Ty Gurley, he, he sucks. And Ty Gurley is slow, and he had the touchdown, and another misleading thing, but he ran for about four yards carry. He's not going to get 20, 25 carries a game. Um, it's going to be a mixture of him, Ito, and Brian Hill, and um, they're going to be passing it much. The biggest takeaway for me, like the best positive thing, is that uh, Russell Gage is going to do just fine. Lacan Treadwell is not going to get in this rotation. And they had 36 targets to Julio, Ridley, and uh, Gage combined, which is what you should do. And Ridley I- is a monster on those deep outs. 
Um, you're not going to believe this, but the jet sweep to Calvin Ridley did not work the one time they did it today. Steve Sarkeesian used to do that three times a all, game. At, yep, all the time. Never worked. So I'm glad that's still in the playbook. I don't know why, but... Um, He's no Debo Samuel. Debo's like the only one who's good at this. Yeah. It never works. Like, it's almost like the goal line fade, uh, but like Debo, for whatever reason, is the only one who actually can make that play successful. Yeah. Can I interest you in a slightly used Tevin Coleman? Uh, no. <laughs> I am hard pass, but thank you for the offer. But uh, no, I'm I'm good on a Tevin Coleman update. Um, is Tevin Coleman, did he play in this game for y'all? Uh, he, I think he matched um, snaps okay. for um, Jarek McKinnon, but Jarek obviously looked much better. Mm. Should I pick up Jarek McKinnon? He's available in fantasy right now. 180%, yes. Really? I He's not going to hurt me again after just going down for the season the last 19 times? The Jason Verrett will, of running backs? Will, will he hurt you? Most likely. But at the moment, uh, you know, I mean, especially while Debo's out and stuff like that, like, if you, for anyone that watched the 49ers game, uh, he was used. And you can tell Kyle has been, like, begging um, to use him. And, uh, you know, he Kyle was actually quoted saying, uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but basically I'm not going to use my fucking wide receivers right now. Like, he literally <laughs> didn't game plan the receivers at all. Uh, he's like, he basically said, I have no, I had no use for them this week. And you could, you see it on the film. Uh, so I think for the moment, Jerick's a good play. I have Jerick McKinnon currently in the only league that I'm doing. Cause it's like what I've done for 800 years, mm. uh, starting over Naheem Hines, uh, Jerry Judy, Keenan Allen and Robbie Anderson. Uh, those are all players. Like, did you see the with- Sir Per thing with Robbie Anderson? Yes, it's a beautiful. Oh my god! The editing was what made that. How they kept going back to the <laughs> the Panthers mascot, like watching him like dance around. He's like, wait, you call him Sir Per? Oh, that's so good. He was legitimately concerned. He's like, y'all don't actually call him Sir Per. They're like, that's his name. That one of my favorite things. I'm glad football's back, and I'm glad that they were on a hot mic for that because the editing, like you said, was perfect. But do you call him Sir Per? Is unbelievable. Great content. Absolutely. Um, back to the Falcons briefly, because I think every week we should talk about our teams opening up the show and like what the weekend was like for us. Um, AJ Terrell is not good. AJ Terrell gave up a reception every single time he was targeted in this game. Uh, DK Metcalf, a uh, little bit of a size advantage with AJ Terrell and Isaiah Oliver. Just a bit. Just, Just a, a bit. bit. <laughs> The, the gut punch of the fourth and five where Brian Schottenheimer unleashed the cork and had the, the deep bomb down the left uh, left side of the field, um, which was just a backbreaker. Um, it's just the Falcon secondary sucks, and the pressure is not going to be good enough to alleviate those concerns. Deion Jones is still a bad, bad man, uh, but it's just there's not enough there. Ricardo Allen had one of the dumbest pass interference that I've ever seen. Uh, just an all-time dumb move that led to the Seahawks' first touchdown. But um, the Falcons are thin on defense. The defense is going to suck again. You're not going to believe this, but using a first-round pick on a corner uh, is not going to pay off because guess what? Learning corners takes time, and most first-year corners are not good. And it, uh, it's a learning curve. And guess what else? Uh, McGarity and Lindstrom, not looking great. Uh, Carpenter at left guard, not looking great. Don't like the offensive line. Matt Ryan was under pressure a lot more than... 
um, Russell Wilson was. And uh, the Falcons have spent a lot more on their pass rush than uh, the uh, the Seahawks have in recent years. And well, apparently, yeah. you should have uh, you should have you you know traded for a, a safety for your pass rush because it's it's working for the Seahawks. Jamal Adams uh, is not a safety. So when people talk about this, I, he's not. When you watch he's a, him, he walk. He he's up at the line like he's just a monster. Like there were plays Matt Ryan got destroyed on one sack where the Falcons didn't even call bl- like a protection for him. Like there was nobody who picked up Jamal Adams. No one even thought to pick him up, and he's just sitting there on the edge. Like what are we doing? So yeah, I mean you got to look at it. Jamal Jamal Adams had eight tackles, four assists. It was all over the field. Felt like just, nineteen. Yeah, and and he was also the only, uh, you know, one of the only recorded sacks. I think they ended up with two on the day. Um, he's here's what I know about the Seahawks from years of experience and pain and torture. The Seahawks have like a magic to them. They do things that they shouldn't be able to do. They are able to accomplish things with players that they have no business doing what they're doing. Um, and I think what I, the way I look at it is when you look at the offensive line that they've had for as long as they've had, and you look at the receivers, there's like a magic to them. Like any receiver that would probably not succeed on another team is going to succeed very well on the Seahawks. Is it Russell Wilson? Most likely. Is it, you know, evil black magic voodoo? Also a possibility. So when you look at guys like DK Metcalf, who had all of these, you know, not issues, but concerns about uh, the type of receiver he could be and what he could accomplish, especially early on, how much nuances they're going to be and what he needs to learn and stuff. You put him on the Seahawks and it doesn't matter. The magic comes in and he's able to do everything you could ever want him to do. For no reason whatsoever. And I think you're going to now see the same thing with Jamal Adams. Like Jamal Adams is going to just have a straight shot to success for the rest of his career with Seattle because they just allow players to to play their best versions of themselves without any inhibitions. Jamal Adams on the Seahawks was honestly probably the most terrifying thing that Seattle has done since they drafted Russell Wilson. Yeah, it's not great. And uh, Jimmy G's got to get ready for this, um, unfortunately. Or Jimmy G's will, uh Let's just get into the Niners. What happened here? I mean, the highlight of the day was Kyler's touchdown run, which was unreal. When he got to this next level and he outran, which DB was it, who literally picks up 100% of his speed and Kyler is just like, nope, see ya. I don't know who yeah. that was. You know, I, I, I don't know who the actual DB was. Um, to, you know, fair fair warning. Uh during the game, uh, I was with uh, friends. You know, I was in Scottsdale for a wedding. So during the game, you know, we started drinking to succeed for because of you know celebrating the success. Took some shots after uh, you know after the Raheem Mostert touchdown, and then we immediately slowly started to take shots in sadness. So the game's a little blurry for me. But what I did watch, and you know, after seeing some of the all 22 that came out last night after 12 years. I was going to say, is it ready? Is all 22 actually out now? Finally. Yeah. So, I mean, I might be singular in this. I I might not share the same opinions of a lot of uh, other people, but what I can say is from a fan perspective, at the end of the game, the next day, people talking about it, everyone was like, Dante Pettis is trash. Jimmy Garoppolo is trash. Fuck these guys. They're garbage. And, you know, 
as a guy who hadn't watched the game and you know her, you know really couldn't focus as much being around of all his friends drinking et cetera et cetera, I was like okay you know you know I I kind of believe it but watching film last night I had I'm not going to say his name but a buddy of mine who was a writer for the 49ers had sent essentially Jimmy's worst plays and he's like hey here. You know, the, I'm looking at Jimmy's film. He was awful. I was like, okay, can you can you send me some of those the films? I want I want to look at what you're looking at. And I gotta say, I don't know if people are just getting you know to a point where they just want to be super picky with Jimmy or they want to be very critical of him. But everything that he was pointing out from a Jimmy Garoppolo perspective, I didn't see what he saw. You know, he's like, oh, Jimmy is uh, not making the right read, or he didn't throw here to Trent. And I'm looking at the film, and on both of these plays that he's complaining about, the offensive line is collapsing, and there's a guy basically right in his hand. There was a, you know, like a five-yard out uh, to Trent, and he tried to get the ball to Trent Taylor. If you are, like, pausing almost to the millisecond before he throws the ball, the left defensive end literally has a hand almost in his face. So you see Jimmy has to essentially – take the ball and throw it kind of up and out and right around the hand that's coming right at him. And then when you see the pass, it's up and out and right to where Trent was looking to catch. So maybe could he have thrown it a a second sooner? Sure. But you know, where everyone is like, Oh, it's a simple out. Why didn't Jimmy catch or, you know, put the ball where it needed to be. The film's there. You can see the guy's hand literally in front of the ball about to hit it. So, another, you know, when you look at a lot of the different plays that Jimmy, you know, really essentially struggled to a lot of people, I'm seeing the pocket collapsing and him trying to make something happen with defensive defensive players basically in his face. So there's a, a lot of different ways you can look at that. Do great quarterbacks handle pressure? Yes. Can great quarterbacks make up for a bad offensive line, yes. Was Jimmy Garoppolo, when he first started with the 49ers, considered to be one of those guys in a sense of all you ever heard about was his quick release and how he was able to get the ball away? Sure, yes. But then Jimmy tore his ACL. I want to ask you something, Chase. Can you think of any quarterback who had torn his ACL two full seasons later that is still wearing the knee brace? Hmm. Tannehill didn't. Deshaun Watson hasn't. I was going to say, definitely not Watson. I'm trying to think. It'd be a slow mobile person. Um, hmm. Let me think about that. But continue your point. Yeah. But so the answer is really not many. I've kind of looked at it and thought about Carson it. Carson Palmer, maybe? I don't think so, man. Yeah. I really don't remember him doing that. And, he, you know, he's in, in my division. So my point is, is Jimmy, they asked the other day, he, he or, you know, after the game, he basically was saying, I'm going to be wearing the brace every week. It's light, doesn't, doesn't really get in the way, but I'm going to be wearing it regardless. I'm not a psych. I don't know. But if he's fully healed and he's still wearing the brace and a collapsing pocket is making him make really bad decisions – is there something going on where he's still worried about this knee injury? Mm. Is he make is he making bad decisions because he wants to protect the knee? Is this subconscious things that kind of 
that exist in decision decision making process at a level way above you know him just being a quarterback right I like, like his body is going protect the knee because all of a sudden Jimmy who you, I mean how many times during an NFL broadcast did they talk about Jimmy's quick release and how fast it was that's all you heard about before he tore his ACL all people could talk about is Jimmy can make an off, bad offensive line better because he can get the ball away super fast. All of that's gone. I haven't seen that once this year, and you certainly weren't seeing it towards the end of last year, but they were obviously just running the ball. So the Niners look bad in a lot of different ways, um, but I think Jimmy's got something going on. The confident Jimmy Garoppolo that everyone knew when he came in to a team that won like one game in his first season, not knowing the the you know not knowing the playbook, and wins five games in a row, beats a very good Jacksonville Jaguars defense, a very good Tennessee Titans defense, both teams who were looking to get into the playoffs. Jacksonville, who was like in a need to win mode, that guy is not this Jimmy. So now we have to go. Is he gonna? Can he come back? Maybe. Is he? You know, is he maybe? Is this just something that's gonna be around? Maybe. If you look at Dante Pettis, who was the other big storyline, you know, about how Dante Pettis played so bad and he was whiffing on blocks, which he did. There was one block that was pretty bad. Uh, he kind of just like kind of like leaned into it, like awkwardly, like leaned up against it and didn't hold the block. When you look at the actual film of the game, Dante Pettis was literally open all game long. There, there's KP who runs Niners Nation, the SB Nation uh, 49ers account posted a bunch of the film, you know, kind of the good and bad of Jimmy. And Dante was getting open. But then you think about how Kyle says out loud, we didn't really have a game plan for the receivers because we have so many injuries there. So if if Dante Pettis is open, Jimmy's got confidence issues. And you're saying, no, I'm going to force feed the ball into to Kittle. And then Kittle gets injured and basically doesn't play the rest of the game or, you know, is, you know, really struggling on the knee and you're trying to force feed the ball to Jarek McKinnon who hasn't played in two years. I'm just, just sitting there going that doesn't add up plus two equals four and you're trying to make it equal five. Jimmy's got confidence issues and you got a receiver open hit these short passes five yards, seven yard screens, the West coast offense that was created by the 49ers Hall of Fame coach Bill Walsh, right? Develop confidence in your quarterback, in your receivers. And he's not doing it. He just he said out loud, we were not going to pass to the receivers this game. Hmm. Interesting. Well, to be fair, they didn't have any receivers to pass to. I mean, they, you have Juwan you know, Jennings, they, they, who gets open. Juwan Jennings, just throw it up. He's got it. He's, yeah, he didn't make the roster. I know. It's it's not great. Um, maybe he'll – the legend will live on somewhere else. Um, so to wrap up with that, are you worried about your team? And I'll tell you if I'm worried about my team after one week. Or is it going to be a reset this week? So I am worried about my team long term. I'm probably one of the very few people that actually thinks like this. I'm actually more worried about Kyle Shanahan as a head coach than most people. Do I think he's an incredible play caller? Yes. But I have watched Kyle, in my opinion, fuck up so many 
personality slash handling your player situations since he came to the team. <clears throat> the way he's handled Dante Pettis I'll, is like unforgivable to me. He was a second round talent, absolutely unstoppable at Washington, arguably the best punt returner in the history of Washington. He doesn't return punts for the 49ers, a team that needs a solid punt returner. He's he's verbally and publicly bashed Pettis, called him weak, you know, in, in his own words, saying he doesn't fight for the ball, just basically rips into him. And then like we talked about at the beginning of the season, Dante's like, Oh yeah, you know, like a like a like a, a a girlfriend who's in an abusive relationship was like, Yeah, it's actually my fault. Um, he's just trying to help me. He just, you know, he cares. And then you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, who once again, just like we talked about, had such a promising start. And now he's, uh, you know, basically since last year started, constantly got handcuffs on Jimmy, won't let him throw the ball. The second he makes a mistake is running the ball 600 times, not passing to his receivers. Like, I just feel like if Jimmy Garoppolo and Dante Pettis played on the Chiefs or the Patriots uh, or, you know, any other competent offensive team, you would probably see much more out of those players than you're seeing right now. On the other side of the spectrum, though, those, you know, Kyle is able to do what he's able to do with George Kittle and Debo Samuel and the running game with running backs you've never heard of. So there, it's a good give and take. So I'm not worried about next week. I think the Jets are the perfect way to rebound. Their team is completely injured. Now Jamison Crowder might not even play. Um, they're going to probably win that game pretty pretty handedly. Uh, if you're betting, probably a good game to bet on. Um, but long term, I'm kind of like wondering, like, what what are we doing? You know, if Jimmy is not allowed to pass, if Dante is not allowed to catch, why are they here? You have a Super Bowl window. Seems like you're wasting it. Hmm. I like it. Um, I think the Falcons defense isn't fixable. I don't think it's salvageable. I don't think there's an avenue. I think Aiden Terrell will not be this bad all year, but I think Isaiah Oliver will probably be this bad all year. I think Ricardo Allen might be cooked. I think there's going to be real problems with the pass rush still. I think Dante Fowler will be better than Vic Beasley, but Tack McKinley still fades away. Grady Jarrett does what he can. Um, I think the offensive line, really, really scary. And I think Matt Ryan's going to put up crazy numbers. I think the targets will remain constant to the big three. Hayden Hurst can't get a pass interference call, so hopefully... That starts to change, but um, I'm I'm pretty low on uh, the Falcons after one week. Do you think Matt Ryan throws for five thousand? It's possible because they're gonna be playing from behind most of the season. I'm I'm interested that you're that done with the the defense. You are you not expecting a good year from AJ Terrell at all? No. It seems wild. Have you seen the division that he'll be playing in? Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, he's he's, the, he's the getting Saints, cooked. The Saints look good. The, Bra- the so, I mean the the Bucks offense looks good. Like they're I don't think people I think people are overreacting. I think they'll be fine. Um, and they were in that game. I think that was a. I, I think it was close. That game could have gone Bucks either might, way. Bucks might lose this week against the Panthers. Well, that was my. I told you the Panthers can be feisty. Teddy Bridgewater's can be feisty. I like their receiving core. I like their skill position guys. Like they're not going to be bad. And well, let's do a quick let's do a quick recap of the games. Couple thoughts. 
just want to want to hear your thoughts on what you thought. Okay. What what, what about your Texans? What what happened there? <sighs> kind of what we talked about, right? I'm not worried. The rest of the division looked bad this week, so uh, the Texans are fine. Uh, playing the Chiefs is just not fair. And when you watch that game, like one of the things that that offensive line still sucks. Houston's offensive line. And I wish I could see the all 22 of like if guys were getting open because they, they didn't target cooks at all. Um, some bad drops downfield, um, just missing guys downfield. And they didn't try as much and just not having Hopkins as you saw in the Sunday afternoon game. Uh, it would have been nice. Um, but I don't know. I think be, just it's the Chiefs and the Chiefs are just amazing. And uh, I'm not not at all worried. Basically, was exactly what I said there, right? Yeah. The the Texans will probably play decent enough, but it's just not going to be enough because it's the Chiefs, and it was. Uh, I don't know if this is surprising, but uh, you know, I don't, Bills Jets, our boy Josh Allen. <laughs> he had the he, uh, he had the worst throw of the week. He had the worst throw of the week. He did indeed have the worst throw of the week. Uh, you know, once again, Josh Allen's a good running back. Fifty-seven yards, touchdown on the ground through 312. Uh, I don't think this is a, 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 you know, more of the bills winning a, you know, having a good win so much as they just played the jets. Do you have the list from last week of our picks? No, I don't. All right. Do you have a piece of paper and a pen by, uh, I mean, it's 2020. So I have a, a cell phones. So. Okay. Um, are you a fast note taker on your cell phone? Yes, I am. All right. This week, Take the notes of who picked two, okay. and we'll we'll circle back next week. Um, Eagles offensive line really bad. I think that was my biggest surprise was Washington actually beating the Eagles. Like that Lane was Johnson. unreal. It wasn't in the game. He'll be back next week though. The Redskins look good. Honestly, the the thing for me that defensive line looks really good. It turns out Should- just drafting a bunch of SEC defensive linemen pays off. It's like the Forty ers all yeah. over again. You have John, you know, Allen, um, the, the Alabama defensive tackle, mm-hmm. obviously played played really well. Um, you add uh, Chase Young, mm-hmm. the Nick, the new Nick Bosa, right? Um, I think Washington's Washington's got a very 49ers esque situation. Jimmy Moreland, shout out to Matt Barr from uh, the fourth fourth and gold podcast. Um, or is it fourth and nine? I can't fucking catch up. Uh, there's so many of them. But Jimmy Moreland was a guy that he really liked. And, you know, five tackles, intercept, great interception. But, yeah, uh, Ryan Kerrigan, Jonathan Allen, they got a good, uh, good, good defense coming in. The Lions lost in the most Lions way possible. Oh, dude, it was so hilarious. I'm glad I saw that live. Just, I mean, and the Georgia to Georgia connection and just seeing those two mess it up was – chef's kiss moment so that was yeah that was great um so mitch trubisky survives week one yeah that was probably the biggest surprise of all um dolphins patriots cam looked good i don't know if cam looked great everyone's hold on we're calling them i can i can we reclassify them on this podcast now yes they are the new england navy midshipmen going forward okay that's fair um yeah (laughs) you know 21 points against the Dolphins. Not that impressive to me. Cam did look good, though. I think Cam's going to have a good year. I don't think he's going to get He can stay healthy. Yeah. A lot of carries. Uh, uh, Chargers-Bengals. Was was there a more boring game this week? 
it was extremely boring as we predicted. Um, I knew this was going to be. We we both knew this was going to be close. Burrow is going to keep them close with a lot of teams they should not be close to, and Tyrod is not gonna not gonna excite us a lot, and he's gonna blow to sixteen thirteen games. But uh, the kicker like blow, going full Martin Gramatica um, yeah. to close the game was very Bengals. Um, Mike Brown not going to be at the game tonight. Uh, yeah. uh, hate to see it, I guess. I don't know. Um, and then we can wrap up before we get into tonight's, uh, this week's games. Um, the Rams, Cowboys. Do you think yeah. that was pass interference? Do you throw the flag if you're the official there? Um, I do. In the moment, I, I can understand I think, why you would was, do it in the moment. I 100% do. Both arguments, I, both arguments made sense to me. Uh, it did look like offensive pass interference, but obviously the other side too. Um, you know, I think the Cowboys just need to figure this out because I don't think they're ever going to learn. But you can't let the game end up being decided on one of the last plays. If yeah. anyone should know that, it's the fucking Cowboys. Uh, I can't believe the Rams look pretty good. I don't know if it's the Cowboys or if it's the Rams or a little combination of both. But that was a fun uh, fun little game. But I, I, don't, I still don't think the Rams are going to be that great this year. Probably eight or nine wins. But, you know, good bounce-back game. They needed that. Um, They absolutely needed that. So let's start tonight. Another maybe bad game. Mm. Bengals-Browns, who do you got? NFL Network this week. um, Give me the Browns and a bounce-back after that embarrassment this week. I need Odell to go off after a horrible week one fantasy moment for him. So, yes, uh, give me Browns uh, over the Bengals. So for me? Oh, no. Are you going Bengals here? No, no, no. I just I agree with you, but the one thing I'll say here is uh, Baker Mayfield might the, the 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 person people want Baker to be that you know cocky, strong, confident dude. I think this might be it. Joe Burrow is essentially what everyone thought Baker Mayfield would be. I think they have their bounce back game tonight. I think Odell actually is in a very good position to succeed. Uh, I think I think we might see some vintage Baker at Oklahoma tonight. What about Giants Bears? You're just bouncing around. Oh, Giants? I'm just going by the NFL.com scores. Oh, okay. Um, give me the Bears again. I can't believe the Bears can be two and zero. This Giants team sucks, and Joe Judge is not going to make it through the season. Like zero chance. That was like the we talk about a boring Monday night game. Ooh, but you know what? Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler are awesome. And um, the NFL might steal them because yeah. they're both really good. Herbstreit's uh, – Kirk is good. He's a, he's a longtime duck supporter, so he's got – I got his back. I'm going to take the Giants. Um, oh. I don't necessarily think that the Giants are a good team, but I am betting on Mitch Trubisky not – continuing his solid performance from week one. I think we're going to see some, some uh, real, real Mitch this week. And I think the giants barely win a bad game. Like now it. Rams, Rams, Eagles. <sighs> some men just want to watch the world burn. This is on Fox at one o'clock. Um, I don't like the idea of Aaron Donald gets a, a bad offensive line with Philadelphia. Um, Give me the Rams here. I think Philly has real problems. Yeah, I I've, I haven't believed in Philly basically since they won their Super Bowl. I'm actually going to take the Rams here too. 
um, which doesn't make me happy because I don't like seeing them succeed. And I, I, I don't like the idea of them sitting atop the division. Um, but yeah, I think, I think uh, there's an, there's an easy path to success against the Eagles right now and having the best player in football, uh, destroying that offensive line is the good way to do it. Uh, we up next, we got your, your Falcons versus the Cowboys. Uh, the Falcons are losing this game done. Like lock it in. This is my lock of the week. The Falcons are not beating the Cowboys. The Cowboys are not yeah. starting 0 two. But if you have Amari oh, Cooper in your league, I would start Amari Cooper. I agree. I think the Cowboys win this game. Uh, good bounce bounce back game for them. I think it's going to be close though because I don't think the Cowboys are as good as nearly as good as people thought this year. Um, and I and I still think Matt Ryan's going to he's going to throw the ball. He's going to get his yards. He might get more touchdowns this week. Uh, than he did last week, and I think he'll throw a pretty close to 400-yard game. So, all right, Panthers-Bucks. Game I will not be watching. Um, the Bucks. there's no way Brady's starting 0-2. But it's going to be close. This is the one where I'm like, this is going to be feisty, and this is going to make Tampa fans sweat a lot. Um, well, I like... I like the idea of being able to split with you. I'm going the opposite way. Okay. Full chaos. Full chaos. Give me 0-2 Brady. Oh, my God. It wouldn't surprise me. People are going to be shocked by that, but I would not be surprised if the Panthers won this game. Would not be surprised. 49ers-Jets. I'll start that off. I think uh, the 49ers both, are winning this game. Both, yeah, both saying 49ers. Um, it's a great bounce-back game for the 49ers. You're going to see the ball run a lot. Can you imagine um, though if Jimmy does not have a good game this week and they lose on the road to this Jets team and this Jets offense? Full panic. Full panic. If Jimmy loses, we're going full panic. Broncos Steelers. Uh Steelers. I love the way the Steelers team looks. Benny Snell looks like he's the a, a guy for them now. Um the offensive line's still great. Ben looks healthy. Um Juju picking up where he left off. Deontay Johnson's gonna be a breakout guy. Uh give me the Steelers, lock it in. Yep. Yeah, I'll agree. I still don't believe in the Broncos. Uh, I thought it was hilarious that people were basically saying, oh, this is the year. This is the year for Drew Locke. All these weapons. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. Vic Fangio might just be a bad head coach. He's a great defensive coordinator. One of the best defensive coordinators all the time. Probably a reason why he hasn't gotten a a head coach job in like 15 years. That that time out at the end of the week or at the end of the game was just uh, not using them. Undefensible. Uh, indefensible, excuse me. Um, Titans Jaguars. Oh, my team, the Titans and the Jaguars. Um, there's zero chance the Jaguars are starting two and Uh, the Titans are winning this, this football game. Completely agree. Titans will be winning this game. Uh, Titans going two and crazy. Next up. Who do you, who is it? Lions Packers. <sighs> the Lions always play the Packers. Well, they have a history of playing the Packers very well. It's kind of crazy when you look at their win-loss record over like the last 10 years. Um, the Lions shouldn't be... They should have beat the Bears last week. The Packers looked awesome. There is some letdown potential here. Uh, but... Give me the Lions. I can't believe I'm doing this. Give me the Lions. Yeah, I'm on the other way. Other side of the, other side of the ball here. Um, like I said, I think we're going to see a very angry Aaron Rodgers this year. Um, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers can relationship with the Packers can be fixed. Uh, but someone said this week, and I thought it was a very good point. Aaron Rodgers 
the, the, excuse me, the Packers, after not drafting a single wide receiver in the draft, their wide receivers showed out week one and Aaron Rodgers showed out. So I think the Packers are going to win this game. I think we're going to have a great season from angry Aaron Rodgers. Uh, what do we got for Bills and Dolphins? I guess this magic is going one more week. That offense looks bad with Gailey. Um, give me the Bills. I, I, the Bills are going to be 2-0. Yeah, I'm not going to say a lot about this game. The Bills are going to be 2-0, two two but just because the Dolphins are bad. Tyking, uh, Vikings and Colts. This is huge for both teams. Um, give me the Vikings. 0-2 Colts. I think the River stuff, I think he's actually cooked. I'm going to say the same thing. But only because I refused <laughs> to to bet on Philip Rivers back to back weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not gonna do it. Not gonna do it. I'm excited for this game. Redskins Cardinals. Oh, Cardinals lock it in. Cardinals lock it in. I'm gonna say Redskins. Okay, you got it. They're not well, that team anymore, the by the way. Washington Football Team. Right. I'm sorry, Washington. I'm taking Washington. Uh, the reason why is because I I can't have the Cardinals start two and zero. Um, and Rams honestly, and Cardinals two and zero for me. This is not good for you. And the honestly, Seahawks, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the 49ers defensive line played really well against the Cardinals. Um, I think the Redskins have a similar defensive line and uh, some 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 better pieces in the secondary that might make this a little bit easier for the Redskins. And. Let's go kind of lightning round here. Yeah. Texans, Ravens. <sighs> Ravens, no question. Brutal okay. 0-2 start for the season, but the Texans are going to come on strong with that late season schedule for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. I'm going to say the same thing. Uh, Chiefs, Chargers, we're both taking the Chiefs. That's easy. Yep. And Patriots, Seahawks. This is going to be an interesting I cannot wait for this game. This is going to be... Uh, a slobber knocker, as the kids say. Um, give me the Seahawks at home. Yeah, I'm still taking the Seahawks. I'm not happy about it. Um, I'm hoping we see some Super Cam. This is a big moment for him. Super Cam is a possibility. That Seahawks defense is not good. Jamal Adams is a beast, but uh, I think Belichick will be able to game plan for them pretty well. And finally, Saints Raiders. Weird Monday night game. Um, give me the, give the me Saints. The Saints. Yeah, just give me the Saints. Yeah. Raiders looked somewhat decent. Obviously got a win. Good for them. But yeah, the Saints frisky. are one of the best teams. Josh Jacobs is NFL. a legit dude. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Picks are in. Documented. Got it. Um, Let's say. Should we keep the – let's keep the train going. What's our White Claw shotgun game of the week? What are we betting on? Uh, Lions-Packers is one I know we, we disagreed on. Lions-Packers. I'll take it. I like it. I like it. Having a bet on Aaron Rodgers. You love to see it. Um, well, I know you got to run. Evan, always a pleasure. Good, sir. And we'll be back next week. All right, man. Can't wait for the Twitter content. Back-to-back <laughs> weeks. Shot and gutting uh, White Claws. All right. Take care, bud. See you, man. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. 
But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.